Hello and welcome back to the Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week is the silence of the lambs. But there are no silence in the lambs this, in this movie. There's no silence There's of actually, any lambs. I don't know that you see any lambs at all. No film. lambs. There's moths. There are moths. But there are no lambs. No lambs. No. Oh, there's a lamb chop, actually. There is. That is true. So, we watch Silence of the Lambs, directed by Jonathan Demme, released in 1991. Winner of the 1992 Best Picture Oscar and the first horror movie. We're going to maybe go beat by beat on this movie. Maybe not. I could probably it's, recite it. It's a very, it's it's kind of twisty and there's a lot of turns to it. Yeah. That, that I think the problem is that we've both seen the film. Often Dozens enough. of times. Right. And I like the fact that I've given it some space. It's a really remarkable movie. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are noticing things that you've never right. noticed before, which is sort of the mark of a good movie. You could watch it a dozen times and then watch it again and be like, oh, hey, I never noticed that before. What were you going to say about Psycho? Uh, no, it wasn't Psycho. It was The Exorcist. But oh, okay. um, that was uh, it was nominated for Best Picture, um, but it didn't win. And this movie, Silence of the Lambs, we'll talk about The Exorcist in two weeks. Uh-huh. I know, you're super excited about it. Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. Um, this movie, though, there is division as to whether this movie is a horror movie, right? It's a horror movie. Okay, so yeah. you say, and I'm telling you, I'm just I understand talking the division, about... but those people are wrong. <laughs> to me, it falls into the same problem that this entire list has, which is, can we define our terms? Right. Uh, it. How do we define horror? Or how are you defining, I'm defining horror, horror so that it fits in there? I um, am using uh, Boris Karloff's definition, which is that horror is physical revulsion and terror is spiritual anxiety. This film has both. It does. But since we don't have a terror film classification, yeah. It really, I, there are moments that are just revolting to look at and you I kind of turn away from them. I don't like the word terror applied to film. That doesn't mm-hmm. work for me. That feels more like thriller, right? Like, I feel like that's mm-hmm. the same uh, sort of line that is being drawn here. And I would argue to spiritual also extends to, like, psychological, right? right? Mm-hmm. Brain stuff versus body stuff. But this film, again, is both of those things. It is both of those things. I'm not arguing with you. Uh-huh. I'm just saying that it is. And it it also feels to me like people who say it's not a horror movie say it because they don't think that horror right. could ever win a best picture. So therefore, this isn't that, which horror is films, a bonkers way. Right. To... It's, it's, it is a, um, it's considered kind of a low-class genre. Mm-hmm. And that's something, well, any quote-unquote genre yeah. film is... Well, but you can have, uh, over the history of film, you can have uh, westerns right. or mystery novels, uh, mystery uh, stories um, that become really important or significant over time. Yeah, but almost nothing classifies itself as a mystery. Usually that falls into, like, drama, right? Or suspense mm, yeah. in a lot of cases. Like, I... A lot of movies are mysteries, but I wouldn't, like, when you said, say, what genre is this, mm-hmm. I'd almost never go, mystery. So you if you mean? saw something like, uh, for instance, Murder on the Orient Express, sure, that's a mystery. But would you and It's also a little bit of a suspense, Rebecca, right? We're trying to figure out. Because it is a mystery at the heart of it. I guess. 
Um, but once again, I'm never going to say I classify that film as a mystery. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not a film mm-hmm. classification for me. It's a... It's a descriptor, right. but it, to me, it's not a whole genre classification. Whether that's right or not, I don't know, but that's... Movies have moved... Uh, 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 this is going to sound horribly pretentious, but it's me, so why not? <laughs> Cinema oh, God. has moved away from having these sort of defining characteristics to where a drama film can have horror elements, yeah. a horror film can have as we saw this week, a lot of drama to it, and it's still a horror film. Which is good, Mm -hmm. because it means that characters and plots can be more rounded than... Right. The the difference, though, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is just piling awful on top of awful on top of awful, and still has other elements that work for it, but at the same time, it is... No one would ever not say, or no one would ever say that's... Not a horror film. Right. And, and yeah, maybe subsection mm-hmm. is what where I put mystery. Like, before I think horror film for right. something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I think slasher film. Like, right. I go straight to there, mostly because it's a genre of horror that I am not a fan of. Right. So I just put it in a box over there with Jason and Freddy and anybody who wields a knife or an well, axe. But, well, we should mention at this point in this conversation is to say that horror as a genre for a very long time has been belittled. Right, marginalized um, for when sure. I, we were uh, discussing while we were watching this film of Val Luton. Yeah. And there is a reviewer who shall remain unnamed he, at the time, a, contem- a reviewer, a contemporary of Luton's, who in reviewing Cat, uh, cat People, cat people yeah. uh, said, what a pity this film will be playing on second-rate theaters and only seen by longshoremen and Negroes. Actually said that. What? <laughs> and, That's... And you're like, what? Where the hell did that come from? I mean, I'm from? unsurprised, but right. ugh, that's... And this was a, 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 a reviewer working for a major newspaper. Of course it was. Unsurprised. And, and so he just thought, well, it's too good for these people to enjoy. It's like, what a, what a pity that these are the only people who come to see this film because it's a horror film. Well, maybe you should tell your readers that mm-hmm. they should go see this movie. Right, and if I you think that's less of a problem now. I, I mean, think so, too. Oh, for sure. The, uh, obviously, you wouldn't be able to say something that overtly racist and classist, I think. I mean, um, not in a... Maybe if you're reviewing for the National Review. Or exactly. Like not, <laughs> not in a reputable, right. quote-unquote, reputable media outlet, which I don't think that there are any of those in the United States. Not public. Mm. Independent, for sure. Right. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to remember at the time how this film uh, got reviewed, and I know that when it won the Academy Awards, there was a lot of controversy over, well, are we rewarding a kind of film that puts these sort of images on the screen? That's I, inane. I, I felt this was part of a, a change. If you can put a war movie up for Best Picture and mm-hmm. have it win, you're just talking about sort of quality over quantity of, of death. Mm-hmm. Like... There, there are movies where Saving Private Ryan. How right, many exactly. dead do we see? Hundreds. Yeah, and that's totally acceptable to get an Academy Award. Like we're so fucked on what imagery is fine and what isn't. A nipple, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. That man's head blown off of his shoulders and and shown to us. Yes, absolutely. Thirteen and up. Like, yeah. what the hell are we doing? 
So you were saying that you weren't sure how it was uh, reviewed at the time, and mm. I'm looking up in Rotten Tomatoes, uh, and, well, a lot of this stuff is probably, you know, newer. The so 95% fresh, and, you know, what's wild is the, the most recent new review is from three months ago, August of 2023 so there are this movie is reaching people still who have decided that they can write about it here we go um so back at the february 13th 1991 did this movie come out on valentine's day that seems like the bat yup it was released Valentine's Day of 1991. I think that might be my favorite thing that's ever happened on Valentine's Day. Amaze. Uh, a supremely sensuous and hypnotic thriller. Sensuous. One that's likely to become his first major hit. So, adroitly directed. Uh, Tak Fujimoto, the cinematographer, gets a call out. Um... So, well, it seems that it was uh, it, it was received well, and I think the fact that it, like Shawshank Redemption, played on television a lot, which is a little yeah. bit crazy <clears throat> given the, as you said, sort of explicit nature of a lot of the images that we're seeing. Although, honestly, disturbing images, things that I would broadly consider disturbing, my, my idea of disturbing images is probably <clears throat> narrower than a lot of people's, but if I open that up, I think there's probably six minutes, maybe, of screen time that, that is where you'd want to look away, and really it's probably closer to like two. So what was your your first experience of the movie? That's a good question. I remember, or I know we were always speaking, we watched this with our roommate, because mm. of course we did. Right. It is a... Because it's a favorite of all three. Of all three of us. Right. Um, and she saw it in theaters, which is an experience yeah. I would really like to have, but I was 11. I did not see this movie in theaters. I... Probably didn't see it until I was in my late teens, maybe early 20s, and I don't have a recollection of the first time I saw it. I just don't. Mm. Like, it's sort of like Shawshank for me. It's just a movie that I've seen a lot. Right. So I don't remember the first time. What about you? You were old enough oh, no, to have no, seen it's, it. Uh, yeah, I didn't see it for m until years afterward. It didn't fall within where I thought was my scope of interest at the time. That's surprising. I yeah. feel like if you saw the trailer for it now, you'd be like, oh, I want to see that. Well, it was also one of those things where everyone was talking about it, so I'm like, okay, I don't want to you know, share everyone else's opinion. And it wasn't until years later that I saw it. Um, and, and again, on a small screen, so I, it's, it's a great pity that I wasn't actually a moviegoer at the time. And it struck me, I think, having watched it on a small screen, as one of the best performed films I'd seen. The performances, the acting, yeah. the uh, and, and Demi. Think, oh, go ahead. I think that the the problem is though that now that I've 
processed how really great these scenes are and how really carefully uh, constructed all of the uh, the conversations are and all, because a lot of it is just two people talking to each other. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to see it on a big screen too, because looking at it again this time on our fairly large television, we've got a good size television. Is it's it's about the size of your front door, only turned sideways. It's not that big. It's um yes, I was commenting the other day that, that you know I can't watch love scenes on that film because it's like those look like two actual life size people. On, oh, on my you're wall. not a like, oh, Let me just just fast forward this. It's like there's actually two people having sex in my living room. Sometimes three. I don't see anything wrong with that. (laughs) But um, the thing is that having seen it now and just sort of processed how really subtle and beautiful these performances are, I want to see, I want the whole experience of going, oh, I want to pick up all these little tiny details. And I'm hoping it is 30, it's 32 years old this year. So I'm hoping at 35 they re-release. Yes. Um, Certainly they will at 40. Mm -hmm. and, And I will provided the world has not ended by then I will go see it uh, because I the thing that I hadn't remembered, I think I had remembered but I don't think I remembered how much it was used mm-hmm. is Demi's use of extreme close up right. on well really only on Foster and Hopkins but also on um... oh and uh, Ted Levine right so, yeah, so we can do, like, a quick overview. Sure. Let's do it by people, because I think there are certainly plot beats. This mm-hmm. is, a, as you say, it is a mystery story. We are solving a crime. Right. And um, so there is that th- through line. But this is also just a movie about people. Oh, I wanted to ask. So these these this movie, the whole mm-hmm. series... Um, the Lecter series are based on books. Have you ever read any of the books? I have not read any of the books. Um, I'm unsurprised because they were written after you were born, and that's not your favorite genre. Well, I think that um, I probably would be more interested after watching this film in just downloading an audiobook. Yeah. I don't know that I'd be as interested in the other. Yeah, this is the second of a trilogy. Because I can't remember if he went back and wrote Hannibal Rising as a book, or if they just did a prequel movie. Um, but it, it goes... He's a notoriously slow author, so maybe he didn't. Is he? Yeah. I read Black Sunday, which is a standalone book that he wrote before this, and I read Red Dragon, Silence of the Lambs, and Hannibal. I read them in order. Right. Uh, I really enjoyed them. I like his uh, writing style, but it is very much like a... It's airport read almost mm-hmm. like it's not bad i don't mean that um because i would argue that john lacquare is also an airport read for a lot of people and obviously his stuff gets made into things all the time um but he uh pretty simple straightforward writing which is absolutely fine especially when you're in you're doing such sort of in-depth psychological things I will say, I like Hannibal, the third of the trilogy and the sequel to this movie, um, in a way that most people don't. Most people do not enjoy that book or that movie. Uh, In fact, I was looking up, so the 
the screenwriter for this, who did win an Academy Award for it, is Ted Talley. He's a playwright. Mm-hmm. And he, I'm going to read this right from the Wikipedia page. After declining to write the screenplay for Hannibal, Talley returned to the franchise to write Red Dragon. When asked by Inside Film Online why he opted not to write the screenplay for Hannibal, he responded, For a lot of reasons. I didn't like the book. The director, Jonathan Demme, and I read it and were horrified. We didn't see how we could make a movie from it that we could be proud of and not feel sleazy about it without making it a totally different story, which we could have done on our own. It was upsetting because we had a friendship with Tom Harris and felt we owed him a lot, but he was defensive and didn't want anything changed. And it was frustrating because it would have been the biggest payday for all of us, (laughs) putting us up there in Spielberg territory. Um, He's not wrong. The way that Hannibal is written is very much the way that Dreamcatcher is written the Stephen King book, in that a lot of it takes place in a mind palace. Mm. Like, I would, I think, and I haven't read it in a decade and a half, but I think probably a good 30% or more takes place in Hannibal's head. That's tough. You don't really put that on film in a way that anybody wants to watch. So that is the issue there. I think the Red Dragon movie that they made called Red Dragon. Mm-hmm. We should say this is the second Hannibal Lecter. Right. Anthony Hopkins is the second Hannibal Lecter. The first was... Uh, Brian Cox. Oh, did he? It was Brian Cox in the yeah. first one? Yes. Yeah, so from CSI. It was a, it was a Michael Mann movie. My, okay. And the director. name I had in my head was Michael right. Mann, and that's why. Okay. And so it uh, was William Peterson is playing Peterson, um, yes. Will Graham. Yeah. And that film, I actually, that might have been what led to me watching uh, Silence of the Lambs, because years later I also appreciated that film. Wait, and that movie was called... Um, Manhunter. Manhunter, and it was made in the late 80s? Early 80s? It was, it was 1986. And it doesn't, like, the book itself is called Red Dragon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't, and I was six when this came out, so I didn't see this until long after I'd seen um, Silence of the Lambs, and maybe after I even saw Red Dragon. And I really do like that movie. I like Cox's Lecter. Uh, people, and you included, I know, love mm. Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter. And I have loved Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter. I think I go, it just depends on my mood when I sit down to watch the movie. Because sometimes I'm like, dude, calm down. <laughs> Especially because you were saying that he... All right, yeah, so the, the very first choice for this film was going to be Gene Hackman, who had bought the rights to the screenplay. Um, there's apparently a little controversy whether he meant to play uh, Clary Starling's boss in the FBI or whether he meant to play Lecter. I would argue that Crawford is a better choice for Gene Hackman right. to play. I don't think like Lecter that it would have been a different emphasis in the screenplay. It would have been less about uh, her relationship to... And that's the issue is that by having directing the film yourself and then casting yourself in this part, it's going to be more about you than it is going to be about this young woman. As if you were Lecter? If you were playing, um, if you were directing, if, if a star director was then appearing in his own film. Right. It would probably be more about him and the other performers than it would be necessarily about 
Unless he did the Crawford and they kept it this, like, with Crawford being mm-hmm. very much peripheral character. He's pivotal in um, making things happen, right. but he's not pivotable, pivotal, pivotal in those right. things so happening. The, 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 what I've discovered was that there's um, some debate whether he intended to play Crawford or intended to play Lecter. Right. Which And that he was put off of that by his daughter, who said the book is... Far too violent. Have you ever read this? So book? he bought the rights to the book, but mm-hmm. he'd not read it. He, I think that he, I, I don't know if he read the book or not. The impression that I get then would be that he had not. And that, uh, for instance, I owned a, uh, I think we mentioned this when we did Jurassic Park, I owned a really advanced copy of Jurassic Park. The book? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. That was very promptly stolen from me. Weird. By one of my coworkers, and then hidden somewhere where then it got damaged beyond any kind of uh, reparation, which was a pity because that would have been a fine thing to have a, a copy of, but because it was as different, not significantly, but different enough from the actual finished book. And in this case, um, I think that it's very com- it's common practice for people to buy advanced reading copies. Yeah, of, which uh, you're not material supposed from to an do. Author that you. Uh, think is successful or actually Manhunter was not a successful film. It's grown in esteem over time. It has, that's true. Um, but it was not so much so that when Dino De Laurentiis um, was approached by Orion to use the Hannibal Lecter character for this film, he let them do it for free because he said, I didn't make any money off of this. Wow. It's impossible for you to make any money. And <laughs> little did he know. Nope. Who? Oh, you said Michael Mann. That's right. right. And so Michael Mann, who is very, his films are always very sort of stylized. Yes. And Although I would argue <clears throat> this movie is pretty fucking stylized. Well, in a much more subtle way, though. For sure. It's not like, you know... <coughs> excuse me. Why am I coughing so much? I don't know. Do you need some ministry? <clears throat> it's not Michael Mann's kind of Miami Vice, yeah. neon lights, and um, strange kind of uh, whispered conversations. And right. His stuff looks like a Michael Mann movie. Right. He has a very distinctive style. Jonathan Demme, on the other hand... He goes for a much more naturalistic approach. I've seen some of his early work because he worked in the 70s for Roger Corman like yeah. everyone else did. Yeah, and who I makes think, uh, an appearance in this film. Yes, he does make an appearance <laughs> in this film. And so I think that um, he learned that same sort of efficiency of style of just find a really good story and let the story tell itself. You don't have to accentuate everything with visuals because when you're taking something as bizarre as tracing serial killers, and then you turn it into an abstract, kind of highly stylized film, I think the audience doesn't really have something to purchase, or, or, you know, find purchase with. Whereas in this film, Demi was smart enough to go, okay, this is the story of Clarice, and going on the hero's journey, essentially. She's not trusted, she's not um, invested with any kind of faith from anybody, including her own boss, who... Uh, Crawford seems to be a very sort of shadowy figure. I I have a strong disagreeable with that Mm. statement. Disagreement with that statement. Um, Let's start by talking about who Clarice is. Clarice is Jodie Foster. Jodie Mm -hmm. Foster is Clarice. Um, She's definitely so. We were saying um, my like everybody's Hannibal Lecter. Do you like Hopkins the best? I like Hopkins. Um, I was reading about the number of people who were trying out for the film, or mm-hmm. who actually had been offered the role, 
and then some people had tried out for it. After Hackman came uh, Sean Connery, who I think would have made a very interesting um, Hannibal Lecter. And it's it's a pity because he should have played people who were he didn't get to play as many smart people. Yeah, in his career, and he's a very, very he was a very clever man. But being six three is a problem. Right. It's for like this that character, I think. That was the same problem that I would have had, or I had rather when um, um, God, what is the actor's name? The remake of uh, Psycho. Fucking Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn at six foot six. Sorry, just I thought right, but I don't. He was not bad in that, but Vince but Vaughn is not a person I again, would watch. He's six foot six. He yeah. has a different physicality from Anthony Perkins. Yeah, nobody. Right, no one's going to go. Com- that guy's harmless. Anne is not going to be right. like, yeah, this is fine. Yes. <laughs> yeah, whereas Anthony Perkins is so vulnerable and slight. That even though he's tall, he still carries himself with such a kind and of. And he's stooped as well. Right. We'll talk about him and right. But the thing month. is, it's like that would have been the issue with Hannibal Lecter as played by Sean Connery. Right. And there was a couple of other actors. Robert De Niro tried for it. Uh, Al Pacino tried for it. Pacino in 1991 mm-hmm. would have been good. Pacino any later than 1991 <laughs> well, wouldn't have been the good because he that would have been interesting. And although I can see why they didn't go with it, it was Forrest Whitaker. In 1991, changing the race would have been an issue, even right. if people never read the book because people are f***ing stupid. That would have been really, really interesting. Yes, because he can do that sort of whispery, soft, And he, scary. as much as I want to hug Forrest Whitaker all the time, mm-hmm. he could be extremely scary. Right. Um, and and a lar- that... largely is that still right. low measured speech. Um, and you were saying that uh, Hopkins based his vibe right. on... Um, he based his speech patterns on Truman Capote, believe it or not. Um, but he actually went back to Douglas Rain's performance as Hal 9000 in 2001, which is a movie that we've seen. That sort of very kind of disconnected way of speaking to where he's not really invested or involved right yeah yes where he's almost commenting on what's happening around him rather than being he has no part of it right he has no uh when he meets clarice for the first time which is a master class in acting that scene um you see that his character doesn't is like messing with her yeah and doesn't really care about the consequences of it he has absolutely nothing to lose yep but on top of that it's his issue is being the smartest person in the room, and it's a very big room. He's dealing with the FBI agents, he's dealing yeah. with therapists, he's dealing with all sorts of people, but he's still that much sharper and intuitive than they are. Yes, although, as much as he ends up fucking with Clarice, she knows what she's doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's, okay, but I, what I wanted to say, though, is he's not my favorite. Mm-hmm. Of any of, of the of the several people that have played Hannibal Lecter, yeah. for me, uh, the the portrayal in the television show Hannibal by Mads Mikkelsen is my favorite version of him. But he has a little bit more leeway because he still has to be out in the world. Right, and that's going to be the 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 issue is that um, Hopkins Hannibal Lecter is just a. a the monster in the cage yeah. up until the very end. He can be Hal 9000 mm-hmm. because he doesn't have patience. Right. He's not 
out trying to not be caught for murder right, exactly. in the world. So yeah, I think the, the difference is that uh, Mads Mikkels and Noel also really, really liked, and I really liked that show. Yeah, I, I liked that show a lot. Is that I think the difference is that he was had to, he got to play a lot more of the character, like being very deceptive. Yeah. And being very sharp and being very, uh, I loved his uh, sense of humor at times. Mm-hmm. Um, Which does right. um, happen, like that is in the book. And it's in this to an extent. Right. Um, in the, the way that he sort of feels chummy with Clarice right. uh, as we go forward. Um, largely because she is honest with him. Yeah, I think that buys him, or buys her a lot of, uh, like, pull with him. Because he is lied to so often. And he can tell you're lying to him. Yeah. So, although, she, yeah, because she gets one over on him, and he still doesn't, like, totally break that right. relationship. So, we can do, I mean, very, very brief. Like, because mm-hmm. really, if we get into the play-by-play of this movie, it, it will be, when it started, I was yeah. like, she's running, she's running. Like, I, right. I've i seen it so many times that I can't recite it, but we could go, it, we could make a two-hour, mm-hmm. you know, beat-by-beat situation. So, we're not going to do that. Huh? Do you want me to do it? Give the brief overview? You want to do a brief overview? Yes. Go ahead. Okay, try so. it. We follow the story of Clarice Starling, who's an FBI trainee. She's asked by her um, boss, Jack Crawford, to interview a serial killer. And the purpose of this is to get more information on his thought process. She's essentially doing the same thing that was done in Mindhunter. Yeah, the, the, television the television show program. on Netflix. Uh, this runs parallel with a serial killer, Buffalo Bill, who is kidnapping and murdering women for a purpose that at the beginning of the film is not determined yet. But we do know that he skins his victims. He skins his victims and leaves in, in strange sort of geometrical patterns. Um, not always. But what we also discovered later in the film is that he, he has a, a calling card in which he tips a, a death heads moth, in the which vet, is yeah. specific to Suriname, so he has to go to them here specifically, or, or breed them here into the throat of his victims. So um, Clarice, in building this sort of relationship that she does with Hannibal Lecter, discovers that Lecter knew this serial killer. Yeah, which, that is a plot point that is odd to me. Right. Because Crawford sends her in ostensibly not to be about, like, not mm. having to do with Buffalo Bill, but everybody fucking knows that it has to do with Buffalo right. Bill. And I think the thought process is he is, you are a psych- he was a psychiatrist, right. is a psychiatrist. I mean, he's not licensed, obviously, but he still has all that knowledge. And as a serial killer, you definitely studied the thought process of, of serial killers. Right. So tell us about him. Right. He was called in in a consultation basis the same way that he was called in in Manhunter, or rather Red Dragon. Yes. Um, But, like, the fact that then it turns out he did know him is a little convenient. I'm not sure if... He never met him, right? He said he met him once. He knew him through his patient. Through his patient, but he said he met him one time. I don't know that he saw him, Mm -hmm. 
but he might have because I I believe what was happening was um, his patient and he were in a relationship and they I think they did one and I don't know how how they hash it out because he says I saw him only one time it seemed like a couple's counseling situation because his his patient was afraid of right this person he gives um, aliases or, or right and so Lecter is and this unfortunately set uh, a stereotype now, which is the brilliant serial killer rarely happens. Yeah, most serial killers are dumb as shit. Yes, they're kind of uh, what's the, the line from Sherlock? They're mouth breathers. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, cops are dumber. Right. So, but uh, yeah, most serial killers are. And, and you read if you read the history of people like Ed Gein and so on, they, they are really kind of dolts and monsters, and they just they they can't seem to control what they're doing. It's not like they have a great master plan, but Hannibal Lecter is a genius, and he um, the it becomes a sort of battle of wills because he will share information given what he knows and the special knowledge he has about Buffalo Bill uh, with Clarice on the grounds that she talks about herself because he's locked away by a very sadistic um, I was going to say warden, but that's not quite the case, Doctor Frederick Chilton, who's in charge of the facility where. Lecter's kept. And uh, Chilton is... A fucking monster. <laughs> he's arguably this second or third villain. This is like a Dickens novel in that half the cast are villains, right? And Chilton um, is really angry because he uh, he sees himself as, as a great uh, repository of knowledge about serial killers and he's the number one expert on this field and why are they sending this young woman in to interview him? Over the course of the story, you find out that Lecter is has close experiences of Buffalo Bill, is kind of coaching uh, Clarice to find him, although in a way that sort of extends their, their together time, because he's so bored he really wants to have someone to talk to. Uh, when Chilton discovers what's going on, he bugs the room. He, uh, the room where uh, Clarice is meeting Hannibal, she, um, he winds up exposing the fact that, that the promises made to Lecter are not going to come through. And then uh, this is coincidental with, not coincidental, this is timed along at the same time that a young woman is kidnapped by Buffalo Bill locked inside of a well in the basement of his house, or yeah. the house that he has taken over. And that woman winds up being um, a senator's daughter. Which I don't think they they talk about either in the movie, and I can't remember what they do in the book. He does not target a senator's daughter. No, no. He targets a woman, because the thing is he wants... Great big fat people. <laughs> that's a quote from the movie. That's, that's not me. That's, yeah, he, he, yeah, that's the first sign that lets you know when Clarice meets him later on that there's something wrong with him. Where did that come from? Um, but he, as it turns out, is looking, uh, the, the death heads him off and all, is a, a kind of a symbol of transformation. He wants to become... Something else. Right. Now, I do want to talk about this real quick. Right, um, go ahead, because that's an important uh, this, thing to discuss about this film. Yeah, this movie is... Uh, it, there were... There were protests outside of the Academy Awards when this movie was up because by the LGBTQ mm-hmm. community because of its portrayal 
again of a trans person being a villain. Now, that is not the that is the impact of the film. That is not the intent of the film. Right. If you watch the film and you listen to what is being said, they are very clear that A, transgender people are not violent. Mm -hmm. B, this person is not transgender. He is a person who was extremely abused and now doesn't want to be himself. Right. And then so and thus believes that he wants to be a woman. Demi said that, yes. It's like he wants to he so hates and loathes himself and he wants to be the exact opposite of what he is yeah. now. Right. Which Anthony Hopkins or, you know, mm -hmm. Lecter explicitly says, right. but audiences are dumb and a lot of people came away with more anti-trans thoughts in their head, transphobic right. thoughts in their head, which directly relates to the violence specifically against trans women in this country that has always been high and still and has it, not gone down. It goes back even further to another film that we're going to go on to see, Psycho, yes. which has an eight-minute-long coda talking about how this is not about trans but yeah. still people are like, that film is, a, like, you know, I don't know how much clearer you could get yeah. other than that. And um, I, I really appreciate the fact that the show Clarice, which we both enjoyed, uh, that oh, yeah, unfortunately really ran for one season, had a trans actress in it. In it. And addressed specifically the issue of Clarice Starling is the person who brought this kind of... Totally negative perception right. of trans people Even to the front. that wasn't what, was it, yeah, the, not, what you were intending to do. And that's the impact, not mm -hmm. the intent. And the impact is what ends up mattering, right? right? Because trans women die regardless of what Jonathan Demme intended to do right. and Thomas Harris intended to do. Like, this comes from the book. He, right, this and is it also comes from actual life. Ed Gein was making a suit of people, yeah. right? Uh, not for himself, sounds. though. Or he wanted to be... It's he's more like he's the one that everybody is pulled from. Mm -hmm. He wants his he was building his mom, sort of rebuilding right. his mom. So yeah, he, spoiler alert: Psycho's coming up. If you're <laughs> curious about where this all comes from, don't read the story of Ed Gein because you won't sleep for years. But it's, but it's also a if you horrible story if you've watched serial killers in mm -hmm. cinema right and other you know in television, Ed Gein is the thread that holds most of them together. Yeah. Like it was so extreme. Yes. And had so many different aspects that people just take a piece of it and right. they're like, this is what I'm gonna But yeah, he um and his yeah, his, he, he it's actually really interesting because he didn't like it's a very small period of time. Mm -hmm. It's not that many victims actually, comparatively. Right. Um well that we know of hopefully and uh, right. Yeah. Uh but yeah uh, people lampshades, all kinds of stuff. It's bananas. But you've seen if you mm -hmm. if you watch this stuff, right. if you consume this kind of media, knowing the true story isn't that upsetting because you've all you've right. seen all of it. It's just all in one <laughs> situation. Um, but yeah, so it does need to be said that Buffalo Bill, James Gum, is not a trans person. And trans people are not large. I mean, you can't say anything say, about an entire group of okay, people, but... Here we go. What makes up a trans person is not... It, it, violence is not what causes it. Yeah, right? or, or 
something that comes from it. Right. Or it's, it's not all like... it is. All it is is the body that I was born in does not match the gender that the, I feel or the that I am. Trans community is not any more violent or horrible than the straight community yep. or any other community. There's a because they're being so vilified right mm-hmm. now in the in this culture and there's so many laws being put up against them. There's a trans woman that I follow on TikTok who at the end of every week lists all of the people, not by name necessarily, mm-hmm. but by sort of job title or type of person um, convicted of pedophilia in the United States. Mm-hmm. And it's usually like 12 people and she's been doing it for over a year and there's been two trans people in there. Mm. Most of the people, pastors and Republican politicians. Right. And, and pastors, again, that's not also a, a, um, a profession that lends it to, you know, doesn't pedophiles don't become, pe- or rather pastors don't make pedophilia. People no, who are but... looking for unfettered access to people's families and to people's children. I've only... I've had, in the course of my lifetime, two or three experiences with people who were caught at this. And in both cases, one of them um, was something, probably the, the great good that my mother did, which was a person in her own church community who she discovered. Uh, but She didn't just push him to the next community? Because no, 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 that's no, no, what no. happens she way too often. Him, which is one of the good things that she did. However, the other two that I became aware of were both working for the Oakland Unified School District. Yeah, and in in that case, uh, one of them was let go, but the other one was simply demoted, and made a classroom teacher. Cool, so that they're around kids right. more. Perfect. Exactly. Exactly. Um, whereas there was school administration before, so it's like, yeah, it's just any these are people who like having access to children, and unfortunately, being a member of the clergy gives you all sorts of access yep. into people's lives. Yep, and yeah. a, a sense of right need of to be secret. Or, like, this sense of respect, yeah. But, yeah, so not trans no. and not, you know, portraying anything about the trans community, but impact means... Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Yes. That so, was the case. yeah, the story then becomes two parallel stories of uh, Clarice trying to... Or three, rather. It's Clarice trying to find the senator's daughter, right? Well... The senator's daughter trying to escape this well that she's in the bottom of, her relationship with James Gum. Yeah. Who is, uh, you Ted know. Ted Levine. Our, who does an amazing performance. He's fantastic. So, Ted Levine, he's a published poet, like, uh-huh. at, which I think is so good. He was in Monk forever. He's mm-hmm. the boss. He was Monk's boss. Um, every time you see him afterwards, it's hard to remember that this is the same character because he is doing a very distinctive voice. Right. You know, he is clean-shaven. Now he usually, like, at later, he wore a mustache almost 100% of the time. Apparently he's, like, one of the sweetest dudes. But, um, yeah, he is incredible in this. And he's only in seven minutes, eight minutes. Mm. Like, he's not in the movie oh, yeah. a lot. He's impactful when he's in it, but he's, he's not he's in it He's doing a very kind of an outre, really bizarre performance. Um and he's called out like every time Jodie Foster is interviewed or Anthony Hopkins, they'll go back to Ted Levine was amazing in this part and they want to make sure that he gets recognized for it. Um, 
Because it is very easy to put it aside because mm-hmm. he is the villain, right? right? He's not in it much. He, they talk about his character way more than we see his character. Right. Um, but yeah, every time he's on screen, he's on screen. Right. And we don't get... Um, I'm trying to think. We don't get any full face close-ups of him. We do get close-ups of his mouth. There's a specific mm-hmm. scene where we see his mouth. Um, but he is... I, I was noticing for the first three or four times he's on screen, he's at an angle. Like yeah. he, We never see him straight on. He's at an angle, which I think is an interesting choice. And I'm sure purposeful, because every shot in this movie is purposeful. It's very... Yeah, Jonathan Demme is one of those filmmakers, or was, sadly, one of those filmmakers like... Uh, like Polanski or like Kubrick or something where everything can mean something. Every They're, they're framing every single shot. They're being very careful with it. Um, so, yeah, the film winds up taking a turn when Hannibal Lecter is uh, released from prison. He's promised to... Uh, similar terms to what he was going to get under the imaginary deal with Clarice. Yeah, Clarice offers him an imaginary deal that he's going to go... go Anthrax Island. Yes, he's going to go to a, a penitentiary in uh, Tennessee where he'd be able to let out everyone's mm-hmm. because he hasn't seen the sky in right. however long, which even serial killers, even monsters, if you're going to lock them up instead of kill them, right. they need to go outside. Yeah. They're still... You've determined that they are still human beings because you won't kill them. So that's a choice you've made. Now you need to treat them like human beings. <laughs> um, yeah, I have many thoughts on the cursorial system and uh, serial killers. But yeah, he doesn't go outside. So yeah, he wants so to go outside. He won't help unless he does. She brings him a phony deal from the senator because he sa- she says he's, she's desperate. And that one, one day or one week a year... He would go to this island. There's nothing else on this island except like a um, animal research an animal facility. research yeah. facility, and he would be able to go outside for an hour a day and walk on the beach and whatever. And so, yeah, he agrees to give some information uh, if he goes if he's right. sent to Tennessee. Right, but as we said, it uh, the room was mic'd. He gets uh, that deal gets exposed because Chilton, uh, Chilton is a monster. Takes over and. Uh, there's a wonderful scene. Anthony, um, Anthony Heald, who's great in this part, mm-hmm. is making sure that you know how to spell his name. He sets up a, a meeting with uh, uh, Senator Martin, who's played by Dan Baker, who was a childhood crush of mine. Um, he's, uh, during this time, uh, had a lector makes good his escape. Yep. Because um, Chilton left a pen. Even though quarters. he told Clarice... No pens, no staples, no paper clips. No hard paper. No hard paper. Soft paper right. only. No you connecting can, anything. Right. You can give him stuff. He can't give you stuff, which is weird because he can because mm. he's got to return the papers. But nothing that you don't give right. him. Yeah, there's With all the of these paper rules. It's just like, wow. And, and I know what he's talking about. For cutting. You can cut a jugular yeah. with uh, with hard cardboard. But good Lord, that, that takes a lot I of... Mean, thinking if you're 
gambit, I bet you could kill somebody with a slice. I've gotten some heinous paper cuts. Mm-hmm. Paper can fuck you oh. up. <laughs> Yamashita Sensei shows how to kill pe- how to castrate a man using a comb. I never that forgot my heart. <laughs> so yeah, so but Chilton, because he is a pompous dick, right. leaves a pen behind, and it results and in the lector is like X. And that scene was really well done because it, it, it. Up until this point, you've just seen Lecter as this sort of coiled up snake. Yeah. And when he actually lets loose, he does. He that's probably the 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 most intense of the horror scenes. Oh yeah, he's for sure. literally biting a man's face off. Yes. He peels the guy's face off and wears it. And wears it, yeah. Um, as part of his escape, uh, and this is happening parallel to, um, what at first seems like this. It's really weird, kind of pokey cutaways to uh, Clarice. Finding out, oh well, it turns out that um, having found a uh, a dress pattern in the hallway of one of the kidnapped victims, the earlier victims, um, that has these diamond shaped, uh, for uh, like uh, on a dress of form, she goes, oh, that's what we found on the body uh, on her body later on. She was this person's making a human dress. His so yes. So what had happened was what had happened was. She um she got a little bit more information from him because he had given what we find out is a correct description of mm-hmm. this man, wrong name, Lewis Friend, which if you anagram, because mm-hmm. he likes to do the anagrams, he does an anagram earlier, which is how we know that he knows who this person is because she finds a head in a jar in a, uh, storage, a storage facility who is Lecter's old uh patient the one who was afraid of his lover mm-hmm. who is buffalo bill uh he gives the wrong name so lewis friend which anagrams to iron sulfide fool's gold so haha you didn't get what you uh came for and then he gives her, um her some other information um by giving her her file back and you know she finds some of his handwriting which should have been a hint that he had a writing implement, mm-hmm. but that is not actually mm-hmm. <laughs> brought up. But um, so they realized that the bodies were found out of order. The first one to go missing was the third one found, and so that was had to be somebody like it was somebody that he knew. There's a whole thing about what do you covet? Mm-hmm. You covet the thing that you see every day. He knew this girl. So then she goes to see this girl's family. She sees the cutout. She hears who she who uh, Federica Bimmel, that is her name, used to work for. And she goes to that house to see about the woman who she used to work for. And we've got a speed. Like speed pulls a lot from this movie. Mm-hmm. I was surprised because there is the scene when he... Um, you said the word defenestrate, and now that's what's in my head. He eviscerates mm-hmm. uh, one police officer, takes the face off of another, and wears it so that he can be wheeled out in an ambulance. Um, there's blood dripping from above the the hatch above an elevator, mm-hmm. and so there's a whole scene where they're like pointing guns. The SWAT team, led by Chris Isaac, is pointing guns mm-hmm. up at a the top of an elevator. That fully happens in mm-hmm. um, in Speed, and then the the side-by-side scene. Yeah. 
um, that you were just about to describe happens in Speed as well. Where a Crawford thinks that he has the information, and he's bursting in at one house, and Clarice is visiting the other, and then you discover, oh, they're not at the right locations. They yeah, burst they, in the wrong place. Yeah. And Clarice is actually dealing with gum. Yeah, because Clarice calls Crawford, and it's like, mm-hmm. he's he's making a suit, a woman's suit, like, this is what he's doing, and we know this, this, and this, and Crawford's like, we know where he is, this is his name, they got his name right, he looks the same way that we, he was mm-hmm. described, he just gave us the wrong name, last known addresses in, the, I think they were going to, was it D.C.? Yeah, where was she going? She was in the Midwest somewhere, Ohio. Something like that. And, um, oh, I didn't even look. I bet it says. Uh, right. Ohio. Yeah. I was right. <laughs> wow. Um, and he's, they're out, they're back east somewhere. And so, yeah, we have the two, they're rushing in. We see him inside, mm-hmm. Buffalo Bill inside, right. and he's being taunted by Catherine Martin, his. Who has captured his dog. Precious! And the dog's leg is broken. She's at the bottom of a well. And she's like, you better give me a phone or I'm going to kill this dog. He's like, don't hurt my dog. Don't make me hurt your dog. It's very good. And as that's happening, doorbell rings. We see the doorbell ring. We see them ringing the doorbell. Crawford mm-hmm. ringing the doorbell. So you think that's what's happening. And then he goes and answers the door. And it's Clarice. Oh, no. And then that's another sort of jump in logic where... Crawford's like, there's nobody here. Or like is told, mm-hmm. there's nobody here. And then he's like, oh, Clarice. And I'm like, well, why do you why do you think that that's what's happening? But he's not wrong. Right. But it's just like, that's a wild leap to go wherever she is, he must also be there. Well, the idea is that she was going to check in on the person who had hired yeah. the last victim. So he might have made the jump going, all right, if he's not here, then... Where is he? And we do eventually meet that victim in probably one of the more disgusting things that you yeah, see. Yeah, that's rough. She's uh, been spoiling for a while. She's, yeah, she's, 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 she's person mush now. It's yeah, not it's great. And, and I think that's probably one of the gorier parts of the film, too. It's like, it's, I find it interesting that, oh, and of course, Clarice is able to rescue. Yes, she, she uh, sees a death's head moth. And she's like, oh, no, this is the dude. And so she pulls her gun. She fumbles it a little bit, which is, well, she's, she's a, a baby. Well, she's very heavy coat, too. She is. So she's, um, like, trying to reach beneath her coat, she, underneath, She unsnaps like, the, uh-huh. the, um, what do they call it? The holster that mm-hmm. she's got on. Which sounds like a fake word if you're talking about now. But she unsnaps that. And then, yeah, she goes to pull it out. She's like, freeze. And he, like, kind of laughs at her. And then, like, runs away. <laughs> and he had a gun in the other room, which she didn't know about. And we presume that he picked it up. She goes into the kitchen. She takes her jacket off. It's one of those things where, like, that's smart. I mean, it's one less layer. But if he shoots you, it's going through the jacket anyway. Mm-hmm. But now you can move. Yeah, because mm-hmm. she's wearing this big, long coat. She goes downstairs. She tells Catherine that she's there to help, that other police are on the way, which they are not. And Catherine is like, bitch, you better get me out of here. Fuck you, don't leave. She's so she's funny to me. Like, it, I, I think I might be the same way. Like, mm. if you're by yourself, we're, like, both fucked. You're going to end up down here with me. Like, it, this is not great. Mm. Um, 
and she checks all of her corners because previously we'd seen her do a test and she didn't check her corners and then she got shot in the head not really but you know right. by an instructor and then as she's you know sort of looking there's like a it's a, the basement's like a whole maze right. we see the suit that he's putting together just very briefly um and then he uh he turns out the lights they're in the basement he turns out the lights and he's got a night, night vision goggles, goggles. Yeah. and she can't see and he can and then we get a very interesting scene shot in night vision with her looking fucking terrified like i wonder how that scene was shot i'm very curious mm. uh because it looks like she can't see now my immediate thought is this is terrible but this is what i would do lights go out in a pitch dark room before my eyes have a chance to adjust, like to be shocked by the dark, I'd fire my gun because that muzzle flare is going to give me some sense of who's directly in front of me, especially. Mm. Um, now, that may cause them to fire at me, but I want to see something. I don't want to see nothing. Um, but he you know, comes up to her. He almost touches her a couple of times. And then he goes to shoot her. He, his safety was still on, so he cocks the gun. And then she fires at him a whole bunch of times. And then she shoots out one of the... I don't know if she does it on purpose. I don't know that she shoots him. I, it wasn't clear to me if this is one of the bullets that went through his body. But she seemed to have hit her target. Yeah. He fires too. He does. So he might have been the one who struck the window yeah. and let the light in. Yeah, somebody struck the window where there was wood, like mm-hmm. plywood or something. And so the light comes in. Which harkens back to, to me. It, it reminded me of... Um, uh, the end of Dracula, the first Hammer film, where they shatter the window and suddenly he's in a beam of light and he's right. dying. Oh, no. Uh, and then she kicks the gun away. Mm-hmm. Smart girl. And then that's basically the end of the movie. Um, they Everybody comes out. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they're in Illinois is where Crawford and the team are. So they're not far away. And they're going to her. She, you know, Catherine comes out. She comes out. Then we see her do her graduation and i was like hey um she doesn't have to take any tests or whatever now they just like Mm -hmm. are gonna let her into the fbi right because this is some that feels like a hell of a final exam like i feel like if you catch a serial killer that nobody else could catch as a student you're just not a student anymore here's your here's your badge thanks for your help (laughs) like go on with your life um and then there's a little party at the end. There's this back and forth as to whether or not she and Crawford are into each other, which I think in the books they are. She's into a lot of people in the books, including fucking Lecter himself at the end of Hannibal, which is um, a thing I hate. But uh, she gets a phone call at the party, and it's Lecter. And, she said, and he says, hey, I'm not coming after you. Uh, we're good. <laughs> don't worry about it. You can't stay long. Don't bother tapping the phone. I'm not going to stay on long enough because I'm about to have a friend for lunch or something like that. Meet a friend for lunch. Have a friend for lunch. Whatever he says. Meeting a friend for dinner. Is that what it was? And oh, well, I'm having, uh, having an old a friend, friend for dinner. For dinner yeah. Having an old friend for dinner. That's right. He hangs up. We see Chilton getting off a plane. Mm-hmm. They appear to be like in Panama. Or the Bahamas. Like that. The Bahamas. At the Airport. Oh, okay. And Chilton is walking into the crowd, and uh, then Lecter, in a wig, 
and a very nice sort of maybe seersucker Mm -hmm. linen suit and a hat is following him down the road, just strolling down the road. And then we're left with uh, Clarice saying, Dr. Lecter, Dr. Lecter, Dr. Lecter. (laughs) She says it like six times Mm -hmm. uh, because she uh, is, you know, please don't have hung up on me to go kill a man. It's Shelton. And that yeah, and we're fine with it, weirdly. Um, because Shelton is not only um a monster, but he's rude he's and a sadist, uh, I think he really hates he's that. a sadist with uh, very early on in the film he he tries to hit on Clarice who very deftly avoids him and then he just takes it out of her. Yeah. Afterwards. So he's he's uh not a, a good person. No. He's he's gross in all the ways a professional white man in 1991 is gross. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you mean 1991? That's still, sure, yeah. also now, but let's be specific. Because there was no DEI then. Now they at least have to go through some sort of sexual harassment training. Mm-hmm. They didn't in 91. They mm-hmm. may not take it to heart or anything now, but at least they have to go through it. Um so that's Silence of the Lambs, y'all. So what did you think of it? Was it thrilling? It's, of course it is. Uh, it's number five. And I think number five is probably good. I'm looking forward to the next one because I feel like I would switch them, but I haven't seen the next one in a while. So and The next one is? Um, we're going to be watching North by Northwest oh. next week, our second to last Hitchcock film. Movie. And uh, I can't remember... My thoughts on it. It's been a while since I've seen it. Um, and I've always seen it the once. But it's it's definitely top. Silence of the Limbs is definitely top ten. And certainly top five. Mm-hmm. I just don't know where I would put it in the five. Uh, what do you think? I don't know. I really I enjoyed it. And I, um, as I said, I enjoyed it more this time around. And I found that there was a lot of recalling of images. I, I don't like the fact that films, by and large now, we've come to this age, cinematically speaking, where we, not we, where filmmakers copy images from other films quite often. They'll take imagery, yeah. they'll take, uh, they'll be callbacks. So this was really not necessarily doing that at all. Uh, there were references to the book. There was a lot of original material that needed to be worked through. And uh, a subject matter which really had not been explored since. I mean, there there was the the golden age of Psycho movies, which was probably Psycho and Peeping Tom and a few others. But generally, they were not, there weren't very many movies on this topic, topic rather. Um, the only serial killer that we got to see, other than the few that I mentioned, were people like Jack the Ripper. You'd have to yeah. go back quite a way. Yeah. Uh, but this film, it opened up a whole new genre, which I'm not sure it was necessarily a good thing. But it uh, it it opened new directions for the police procedural. It uh, it w- because of it we have things like the X Files, right? Yes, of which course. definitely was influenced by this film a lot. So yeah, I, I I really appreciate it. I think it's a brilliant piece of filmmaking. So the thing about serial killers, they've always existed. They exist all over the world. Right. But man, does America breed them like nobody else. Yeah. The, in history, 
There are 3,613 documented serial killers since, oh, as of 2020 in the United States. The second highest number of historical serial killers in a country is England with 176. <laughs> That's like a factor of, what, 20? Something like that? Yeah. It's the, bananas. Uh, one of the things that I know that we uh, we had an interesting kind of run for a month or, or so in uh, when we lived in um, Libreville. Uh, we watched all of uh, Larry McMurtry's Larry McMurtry's Lonesome Dove yes, yes. stories, which are really wonderful. They're I highly fantastic, recommend that. Yeah. And the films made from them are really wonderful. But one of the things that I pointed out to you is how often these people, many of the people, would be branded serial, serial killer. Yeah. Mox Mox, who sets people on fire. Yeah. Or Blue Duck, who... Uh, it, or even a, the... Oh God, what was the name? Garza. Joey Garza. Yeah. At the very end, who just shoots... Like, he snipes people from a distance yeah. and then hangs them after... There were so many of what we would, if we, if they were uh, happening now, we would recognize that pathology is people who kill using a motif or a model, and they take trophies, they do all those things. It's like, yes, these people are serial killers. Yeah. But in the great wide open of the American West and Westward expansion, we didn't have a word for it right. then. Right. And we didn't know what they were. They yeah. were, you know, madmen or something. Yeah, yes, they, yes. Or, and... and yeah, serial killer is a very specific thing, but the the definition is, is sort of changed. Some people will call like spree killers mm-hmm. serial killers, which they're not. Um, family annihilators are not classified as serial killers either. Um, there, you know, there's very. <laughs> it's great that we have to have so many boxes for all of our mm-hmm. murderers, uh, but it's it's a specific interest in the United States in a lot of ways, the true crime in general, um, and serial, serial killers in specific, but yeah, we have a lot. The FBI um, estimates that at any given time there are between 25 and 50 mm-hmm. active serial killers in the United States. That's largely also a la- are possible because state databases don't overlap. So if you cross state lines, mm-hmm. it's very easy to not be caught because those entities aren't talking to each other until they all go to the FBI Mm. and way too many localities don't want to go to the FBI. And also the FBI doesn't have, I mean, they've got, you know, their, you know, CSI, but like, or not CSI, Mm. but like the behavioral science units or whatever it's actually called. Um, They call it the PSU in Criminal Minds. But that's not a, that's a finite resource. And they don't have a lot of money. That's mm. the other thing. Like, on, on, uh, on Criminal Minds, they're constantly flying around in their private jets. <laughs> I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's not what's uh, happening. Well, no, that, that would be the Justice League or yeah, something. Right. <laughs> Where they have Bruce Wayne money. They don't have Bruce Wayne money. I don't, I didn't like the fact that this started a genre of, Brilliant serial killers who are just too clever for us, and yeah, and we also like to believe that you have to be smart to be able to pull something like no, that don't. off. You, just, you right. don't. The thing is that most because uh, it's I too would scary. Like to say most people, but a great many people are sort of normal, well-adjusted persons who have 
who don't focus on how to kill other people. Yeah. If you're a predator and that's all you're focused on, you're going to... I mean, think about it. Your average dog or bear or something who's not particularly bright can kill things. Can well. hunt around and kill people very well. Yeah. And so it doesn't take much more intelligence than that. Yeah. And they live in the woods to top it off. And so, no cops are, yeah. like, standard cops are trained to deal right. with or understand this. They are not required to take psychology courses. They're not required to take, you know, any behavioral science courses. They're not, re- nobody's required yeah. to do that. At, in certain well, when segments you hit, make detective, of, there's things like that available sure, to you, but available your average to you, cop does not. But not necessarily right. required. Um, so this movie, on the AFI's Top 100 Movies, is number mm. 65. Number 5, obviously, on the thrills. On the heroes and villains, Clarice Starling is the number 6 hero, and Hannibal Lecter is the number 1 villain, mm. which is fascinating, because he's not the villain of this movie. He I would does kill... One, two people that we know of, that we see, mm-hmm. and one that we presume at the end. And we do know that he has killed in the past. Right. But he is he is a consultant to the hero in this movie. He is not a villain. He is not the villain of this right. movie. He might be a villain generally. Part of the you know gallery of villains in this film. I would argue that Chilton is as big a villain as he is. Mm-hmm. Or, and From what we see. Right, and Buffalo Bill is the villain of the film. Yes. Yeah. So, that's The Silence of the Lambs. Which uh, re- is a reference that, like, this is one of those titles where I'm like, that's the title we went with? But, on the other hand... Any other, like, any straightforward title would right. be a bad title. So, I guess it's fine. I guess it's good. It's not, it's not like I have a choice. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> My favorite titles for horror movies are uh, The Earth Dies Screaming. That's a good one. And Island of the Burning Damned. And I think those are both these subtle, um, <laughs> as, you know, very sweet, very kind of subtle. Like, oh, I want to see Island of the Burning Damned. I wonder what it's about. Probably the Burning Damned, but um, yes, this is much more subtle than that, and kind of an obtuse reference that only makes sense in the context of the story itself. Mm. So, next week, as I said a moment ago, we're watching North by Northwest. Mm. Who stars in it? Terry Grant, and Eva Marie Saint, and James Mason, (gasps) and Martin Landau. The voice of God. Yes. So, Uh, it was the beginning of a lot of uh, careers. But, yeah. I mean, not in terms of uh, Cary Grant, but in terms of the others. So that's for next week. Um, and do you have anything you want to recommend? Uh, yes, I do. Um, last week, you and I and our roommate yep. uh, went to see Kojira uh, Minus One, or Godzilla Minus One, which is the most recent of the Toho Godzilla films. And... You should just stop. Turn turn off whatever you're listening to this on and go watch it. It's an amazing film. It is. Uh, it's almost at times a remake of the original film from seventy years ago. It uh, it's set in the 
era directly after it starts in the, the the tail end of the second world war and then goes on to cover the sort of really heartbreaking circumstances of absolute dire poverty that uh, the japanese people were living in after the war yeah and uh, that's what the minus one of the title means it's they've been reduced to nothing <clears throat> and then Godzilla happens. Another, <laughs> another peg. It is a really beautifully crafted film. The evocation of the period is spot on. Yeah. And it's wonderful. The characters are characters that you really develop a relationship with. Mm-hmm. And the director does a wonderful job also of taking everything at the most frightening point in a Godzilla film, which is take it from ground level. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, you know, we're not going to focus on the monster destroying things as much as the people that are being crushed. Yeah. And it's, uh, one reviewer referred to it as like, yes, it's very emotional. Yes, you really feel for these characters, and Godzilla's a scary bastard. Yeah. It's like, yes, it returned him to scary he's, bastard territory. He's, he's a villain. He's the villain. Right. If we're going to talk about villains. Sometimes he's helping. Right. This time he's hurting. Yes, he's not very helpful this time around. And... Um, I don't want to give too much away because there's so many wonderful like developments in this film. Yeah. And the main character is somebody that you really feel for. Yeah. I don't think it's giving too much away because I think that part of it is out there. The uh, main character is a man who was a kamikaze pilot yes. and he fakes a damage to his airplane so that he doesn't have to die. And that haunts him... Forever? Right. Th- through the film? Through the film. Yeah. I think that... Um, <laughs> Yeah, his character and what he winds up doing and what these people wind up doing, trying to recover their dignity and their humanity and start their lives over again, only to have this happen to them. So it's an amazing piece of filmmaking. And like I said, Godzilla is beautifully Beautiful. Yeah, he Yes, he is scary. He is dinosaur. He yeah. is scary dinosaur. And he crushes. He smashes things and his atomic breath is probably the scariest version of it that I've seen. Mm. It's really, it's like, nope, 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 don't want anything to do with nope, that. Get no, away no, from no. it. So what would you recommend? I'm going to just second that. I haven't really watched anything. I listened to the second audiobook in the series that I mentioned last week, mm-hmm. uh, but it's the second of five, and that's all there is right now, so I right. can't in good conscience recommend that yet, because I don't know when the next one is <laughs> right. coming out. And it could take a downturn. Uh, but I enjoyed it, but... Right. It, yeah, go see Godzilla. It's very, very good. And uh, even if you don't think you like Godzilla movies, because I have no special... I mean, I enjoy them. I like watching them with you because you love them so much. But, like, I don't have mm-hmm. any connection to it. And I liked it a lot, so... Okay. Godzilla! There we go. As he surrounds me, and I probably shouldn't say say bad things about him, because I can see three of him, four of him, without turning much. Five of him. Oh, Lord. (laughs) It's all Godzilla all the time over here. So uh, that's what what I recommend. Um, We're watching North by Northwest, something Uh that's very much not like Godzilla, Uh next week. And you should join us for that. And in the meantime, if you have anything you want to say to us, you can do that by emailing us at gmail uh, at latecomerspod at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook 
We're no longer on X? No, we're not talking okay. about it. It's, okay. We're not doing that. Yeah, all right. Uh, no, I want to have as little to do with Elon Musk as humanly possible. Um, yeah, that's the end of that statement. Uh, so, until next week, when we have a flyby, um, that's, that's all I remember from the movie, uh, I want to remind you to please, please take your medicine, and we'd like to remind you, better, better late than, than never. never.